בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים חברים יקרים, we are back here from ירושלים הקדושה, late at night, but uh, excited to do a shiur with you guys, excited to uh, have some uh, interesting things to bring to you from this week's parasha, parashat ויצא. Tonight's shiur is going to be for the רפואה שלמה, אין הצלחה רבה for uh, Rabbi Fryan בן שולמית, רבנית שרה בת ענת. הרבנית לבנה בת שרה, אבי מורי דוד בן עשריה, אמי מורתי דוריס בת ז'ורה. And all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahais that continue to support our organization and בעזרת השם, the many different ideas, plans and dreams that we have to sanctify הקדוש ברוך הוא's name and to help Am Yisrael get closer to the Torah. A lot of projects are in the works, a lot of different uh, ideas are flying around and we're trying to do as much as we possibly can. We need your help to uh, continue watching our shiurim, continue learning with us so there's more merits in Shemaim. When there's more merits in Shemaim, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will certainly help us with many other things. And that's actually one of the things we wanted to talk about tonight uh, because when you uh, deal with the public as much as we do, Baruch Hashem, um, you know, you deal with, uh, in so many words, indirectly deal with people's stresses. Uh, people are constantly stressed with anxieties and worries uh, and uh, concerns. And I could tell you from dealing with thousands upon thousands of people on a regular basis, the overwhelming majority uh, of people's concerns are about things that are beyond their control. And uh, things that are not within their control. And uh, people sort of uh, lose their mind uh, when uh, they don't have control. And, uh, part of the reason is uh, because they feel like they need to have control, which comes from, a, uh, unfortunately, an uh, a, a ego that's bigger than they should have and uh, certainly uh, an ego bigger than they uh, think they have. Uh, the other the other part of the reason of why they're so concerned about it is because concern of the unknown and they feel like they should know and they want to know and we're all like that we all want to know I would like to know how we're going to get all the uh, money that we need to get in order to build the uh, Jewish Empire Bezat Hashem uh, you know that we wanted to build already for several years uh, you know, I'd like to know all of those details, but at the same token, you have to know that there is a hand that is managing this whole world very, very carefully, very precisely, and much better than you could ever imagine. And you have to submit. You have to uh, put your head down and realize that you are nothing. And a kadosh b'chu is running the world much better than you. But that's very hard for people, and the reason for that is because most people are not connected to a kadosh b'chu, and therefore. They uh, feel not only that they should know and that they're entitled to know, but uh, that they uh, have to know or else they, uh, they can't go on. And this gives people an extraordinary amount of anxiety, whether it's a person that is anxious about uh, finding a zivug or, uh, or it's a person that's anxious about a specific job or anxious about uh, when they're going to uh, convert or when they're going to finally buy a house or when this or when that. Or they're concerned about uh, geopolitical situations, where, as I've told you guys repeatedly over the last month, of uh, how the Satan has trapped, trapped people, uh, uh, you know, in our uh, in our communities, uh, much worse than uh, than you could imagine, uh, by uh, getting them to think that uh, if they watch all of the news and if they keep up to date with all of the 
uh, you know, IDF uh, videos and all of the uh, terrorist videos and all of the uh, political videos, that means that they have everything under control. This is not different than what happened during the coronavirus uh, debacle. Uh, where uh, people uh, were more concerned about uh, what's going to be on the news and all of the conspiracies and everything that was happening than they were even concerned about the virus itself. And, you know, it started with being concerned about the virus and health issues, but then, of course, the conspiracies about the vaccine, whether it's a good vaccine or a bad vaccine, and whether the uh, leaders have been bribed and uh, bought, uh, including some very, very righteous rabbis that uh, were... Uh, uh, and still are accused of uh, being bought. Uh, and, and really this shows us how little people know about Talmidei Chachamim, how little people know about Tzadikim, and unfortunately how the Satan literally took the olamaba of certain religious Jewish people uh, and uh, simply uh, threw it in the garbage. Because when you say uh, you know evil things against Holy people, there is a very, very dear price to uh, to pay. As the Gemara says in multiple places, that uh, somebody that speaks against a Talmit Chacham, that's a, uh, that's a righteous person, uh, it's uh, there's no cure to his ailment. Uh, the person that speaks against Talmidei Chachamim, needless to say, when it's Lashon Ara, when it's Rechilut, when it's Gossip, when it's outright lies, uh, and uh, and it's uh, even more so when it's uh, accusing kosher people. And in, in so many words, there are similar things that are happening right now uh, where uh, people are uh, so uh, addicted to, you know, to the uh, desire of control, the control, the ego uh, uh, that requires control and understanding and knowledge of everything that is really beyond their control and beyond their... Uh, uh, their uh, pay grade that uh, people have all types of conspiracies and all types of ideas of what's happening in the world. Oh, you see, now there's earthquakes in this part of the world, and now there's uh, volcanoes, and now the birds are, are flying against their traditional pattern, and now the water is turning to ice, and uh, now this uh, politician is really uh, committing treason, and uh, now this uh, army is doing this, and now, ay, 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 leave it alone, leave it alone. How many times, how many times do we have to repeat this lesson? Leave it alone. It's none of your business. Your only business in the world is to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu. That's it. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart to do it. It's not in your control, nor is it your responsibility to uh, oversee the political or geopolitical situations in the world and monitor them and report them to people and even be concerned with them at all. Uh, the only reason why we once in a blue moon uh, look at the videos or, or different uh, clips that people send us is just to have certain content of this world uh, to give you during the lectures. It's certainly not uh, because we uh, feel a desire to know any of this stuff, because we know that there's nothing for us to rely on other than our Father in Heaven. And the point of tonight's lecture is to give us a, uh, a refresher, 
a refresher of things we're supposed to know, but of course we always have to see them in our holy and divine Torah of how all of these lessons are in our holy Torah and how we really, really, I plead with you, stop wasting your lives, you know, looking at all of these things that are out there, the news, it's just simply destroying your lives. It's destroying your olam and it's turning many of you into outright apikosim and heretics in disguise. What's the disguise? You're disguising yourself as a righteous person. You're disguising yourself as a religious person. You're disguising yourself as someone who believes in God, which we'll see later tonight. Lavan did the same thing. Now you say, what are you talking about? Lavan was an idol worshiper. Exactly. But you also see in the parashat that Lavan did say that he believed in Hashem. How could this be? Let's go into it. Parashat Vayetzer Karim is a beautiful parasha, full of pearls and wisdoms and, and amazing things. Literally, we could have a shiur for a million hours and it still would not be finished, but I have a few points that Bezat Hashem, I, uh, I studied tonight and Bezat uh, Hashem for your, uh, in your merit, Kadosh Baruch Hu gave us the strength here at three o'clock in the morning in Israel to give this shiur so we could finish off the week strong because it's certainly necessary for us to boost our emunah and bitachon and stop, stop it with this waste of life news. And I'm not talking about major news. I'm talking about any news, anything that's out there. Just focus on learning Torah. Focus on serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu and you'll be fine. And to show you that, we're going to look at the circle of life. Everyone out there is, uh, you know, is, is, is aware of what the circle of life is, of how things turn around. As the Gemara says, a story between Rabbi Hanina and his dear wife, the Tzadikit. And uh, Rabbi Hanina tells his wife a very important lesson. He tells her, listen, anytime somebody poor comes to, uh, comes to the house to ask for tzedakah, please make sure to be generous with them, uh, lest our children one day become poor and we want Hashem to be generous to them when they're poor. So Rabbi Hanina's wife, like any other mother, uh, is very, very uh, protective of our children. He says, uh, Hanina, are you cursing our kids? He says, no, chas v'shalom. They're my kids too. I'm not cursing them. But just their reality in the world is there's a circle of life. There's a circle of life where sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. As time passes, as generations uh, go on, we see that uh, the uh, one generation is rich, another generation is poor. And we want to make sure that we always have enough merits to make sure that whatever the decree of the world is that a Kadosh Baruch Hu instilled, there is still mercy on us. And we see, we see how even though there is a, uh, a really difficult time that we're dealing with right now in the world with the war, with the anti-Semitism, uh, the truth is, is that we're still doing okay. We're still doing okay. In fact, uh, one of the uh, uh, beautiful things that you see lovers of Kadosh Baruch Hu say is that look at all of this situation. We have 2,000 years almost of exile. Exile that we've been thrown out of, you know, every country. You know, we, we went there and just like Yosef HaTzadik went to Egypt, built Egypt, empowered Egypt, enriched Egypt. And what do they do? The new Paro came and forgot Yosef. And then they enslaved, uh, you know, Am Israel. And this was not the uh, last time that this happened. This continued happening with the Assyrians, with the Babylonians, with the Romans, with the Greeks, with the Spaniards, with the Germans. 
you know, and it's it's year generation after generation. Uh, but after all of these exiles and all of uh, the pogroms and inquisitions and the Holocaust and the terrorist attacks and the anti-Semitism. The truth is, look at us right now. We're still doing okay. Okay, so we're in an exile. We're not at a time where Mashiach is here. But if you live in America, if you live in Israel, if you live in Europe somewhere, you live in Australia, you probably live in a house that's worth a few hundred thousand dollars. You probably have a car or some way to, to, to commute to wherever you need. You have the ability to commute. You have food on the table. You know, you have uh, enough, uh, enough ways to manage your life. You're not uh, in the streets begging for food. For the, you know, you're not in the streets, uh, you know, uh, uh, without anybody even willing to help you. Because even if you're in dire straits and you're struggling, someone is willing to help you. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though he's putting us in the exile, the Jewish people were still okay, Baruch Hashem. We're still okay. So he says, look at that. So even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes us, if you will, look how much mercy he has on us. Look how much mercy he has on us. So yes, there's a lot of difficulties, but if you look at the greater picture of how things are, there is endless amount of reasons of why we need to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But what is the reason of why most people are too busy to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you will? Because they are looking and focusing on what's in front of them and they don't understand the picture that's on the wall in front of them they want to see what's behind the wall and they are not conscious of the fact that there's a hand that is controlling this circle of life that whatever is due to you you will get whatever is not you will not get there's no power in the world other than a kadosh that can help you or hurt you and the more a person is conscious of that, the better their life becomes because the more grateful they become to everything that they have, the more confident they become that HaKadosh Baruch will take care of them. But unfortunately, Rabotai Karim, one of the saddest things in the world is to see people in stress and even when you give them the answers, they simply cannot get out of their own way. So let's look at the parasha and see how HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages the perfect circle of life. And then we'll come up to a reason of why. Why is it so beautiful and easy for us to see it there and not in our life? And we're going to get to that conclusion, Be'ezat Hashem. So we see in the parasha, uh, Yaakov leaves the uh, house of his parents, goes to the yeshiva of Shem and Evel, uh, studies there for 14 years, and uh, then uh, obviously he goes on his next path, going towards the house of Lavan. Uh, over there on the way, he uh, has the prophetic dream where uh, he uh, realizes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, uh, is with him. He's continuing the covenant that he has with Avram and Yitzchak with him. He swears and makes an oath that uh, if Hashem will fulfill all that he has said, if the word of Hashem will be in my aid and will guard me on this way that I am going and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear and I return in peace to my father's house and the word of Hashem will be directed to me to instruct me where I could serve God, then this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be the stone upon which I will serve offerings before Hashem. And whatever you, meaning Hashem, will give me, 
one tenth, a maser of all of it, shall I separate as a tithe, as a maser before you. So here, Yaakov Avinu starts off this whole path and makes a vow. Why is Yaakov Avinu making this vow? It seems strange. I mean, Yaakov Avinu is a tzaddik. Yaakov Avinu just spent 14 years without sleep, studying Torah, and connecting to HaKadosh Baruch 24 hours a day. Why is he making this? Because the more you learn Torah, the more you connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more you get to know all of the kindness that he has put upon, has given you, that he's, he's, he's bestowed upon you, the more you realize how much in debt you are to him, and even more so, the more you realize that uh, there's really no way for you to ever pay off that debt, which means that anything that you do that is against the Kadosh Baruch Hu is even worse than had you not had the debt. So Yaakov Avinu here, as he got to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the, uh, one of the highest levels ever, even at this point, Yaakov Avinu is making this vow, not because he is concerned that Hashem will not do what he said he's going to do as part of the covenant, but rather the opposite, that Yaakov Avinu will not withstand a test and will make a sin that will ruin the covenant that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with Avraham and Yitzhak that passed all their tests. Meaning Yaakov Avinu is not questioning God here, he's questioning himself. He knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just. He knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is merciful. He knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we say Amen, the word Amen is an acronym for El Melech Neiman, the uh, God, the King, that is a uh, reliable, that whatever he says, he, he does. As Rashi uh, uh, comments on the word Amen, uh, in the Torah, he says, Amen is telling you that when God says he will reward you, he will reward you. When God says he will punish, he will punish. This is one of the principles of our faith. So Yaakov Inu is in essence making an oath that uh, if he passes the test uh, and um, his own sins don't get in the way uh, and don't give Hashem a reason to retract some of these, uh, these assurances, then uh, he promises to do even more good things, which is to give Maasel. To give Maasel. Now, one of the things that uh, I can tell you about Maasel, we see later on in the Torah, how this, uh, this whole thing, this whole thing uh, uh, is, is shown to us again. And B'Siyat uh, Dishmaya, I had a chidush today, where it talks about a Yaakov uh, Avinu, uh, and uh, how he uh, became wealthy after all of the manipulations of Levan, <clears throat> and despite the manipulations and the cheatings and the dishonesty of Levan, we see that Yaakov Avinu uh, was still enriched by a Kadosh Baruch Hu, and it says that Yaakov Avinu separated his sheep from Levan's sheep on a regular basis. Now, the pshat, the simple uh, 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 meaning over there, is that he wanted to make sure that uh, you know his sheep is not taking what doesn't belong to him because technically he was still working for Levan. Uh, there's also uh, 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 sages that say that um, Yaakov Inu did not want Levan to see uh, uh, his his sheep because he knew that Lavan is a jealous person so even if he has a billion he would still be jealous of Yaakov Avinu's million uh, just like all people that are uh, you know that are uh, jealous people and uh, and and also very uh, 
um, very selfish people, people that are addicted to, uh, to money, to possessions, to materialism. There's not enough in the world that they could ever have. And in fact, one, some of the things that drive them crazy the most is when they see other people succeed, even though they themselves are successful, they're bothered by other people's success. So Yaakov Avinu would uh, separate his sheep to the point where he would not be in, uh, seen by uh, Levan. These are some of the basic translations of it. But one of the things that we thought about Besiat Dishmaya is that where it says in chapter 30, uh, in a uh, verse, uh, um, in verse 41, 42, uh, where it talks about v'sam Yaakov et ha-maklot atzon, le-yachmena, v'maklot, uh, where it says that he uh, um, put ahead of the flock all the white-ankled uh, uh, sheep and all of the brownish ones among uh, Levan's flock, and he formed for himself separate droves and did not mingle them with Levan's flocks. So Yaakov Avinu separated his. And one of the things we realize today is that Yaakov Avinu was delivering on his promise that he made at the beginning of this parasha, the beginning of this journey, nearly 20 years before this time, which is that if Hashem protects him, gives him clothes to wear, gives him food to eat, and, and, and protects him, then he's going to give ma'asir. How can you give ma'asir? How can you give a tithe if you don't keep a precise account of what you're actually making? Uh, so Yaakov, you know, separated his sheep in order to be able to know how much he's making so he can give ma'asir. This is why it's highly advisable for people to, uh, to not wait until the end of the year to give their ma'asir, but rather to give ma'asir as often as possible, if that's weekly or bi-weekly, uh, and uh, no, no less frequently than at least once a month to give your ma'asir and support Torah. So it's number one, makes it much easier to give a smaller check than a bigger check. But the second thing is also much easier to, uh, to keep count, to keep count of everything. Uh, so uh, when a person is uh, all over the place, doesn't really realize what's going on, he just gives a ma'asel or he gives tzedakah randomly, then although giving tzedakah is always a good thing, you're not going to get that blessing uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that anyone that gives ma'asel, is, uh, he, uh, he could test Hashem with this ma'asel because Hashem was going to assure his protection, his, uh, his success. And the Gaon Mivilna says that if a person gives chomesh, which is instead of 10%, it's 20%, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises him or her that they are going to be materially wealthy in this life. The 10% protects your wealth. So even if there's a financial crisis, economic crisis, whatever crisis that's out there in the world, if you've given ma'asel, you'll be protected. You're not going to lose like everybody else. But if you give chomesh, you'll be actually rich. Here we see Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is giving ma'asel. Uh, just like he promised. So we see the circle already beginning. Yaakov delivers on his word. Uh, and in essence, one of the things we see here is that the fact that Yaakov Avinu went into it, saying that if you allow me to, to make a living, I promise to give myself. That in itself gave Yaakov a, a merit, a blessing, because he had, he had uh, obviously he was looking to go work to make a living in order to uh, do mitzvot with it. 
And the same thing is what I, uh, you know, always try to to, uh, to teach my kids, to teach my uh, close students, is that make sure that you are continuously giving tzedakah and supporting Torah on a regular basis. Don't wait for special times or special conditions or when you have a lot of money. Do it on a regular basis. Have some type of way where you're giving money on a regular basis, whether it's uh uh, you know, 10% of your salary, or even if you, if it's not 10%, you can't handle 10%, but at least you can handle giving some money every month. Do something where just like your phone bill and your car bill and your uh, electric bill that comes out automatically, you should do the same thing with Staka. Uh, because again, these are the things that are, uh, are going to make you spiritually wealthy. And if you give enough, you could actually also become materially wealthy. Now, the next thing that we see is even more, uh, more, uh, more extraordinary, uh, in my opinion, as far as talking about the whole circle of life, which explains really the uh, the whole scene, the 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 whole scene of Yaakov meeting his soulmate Rachel. You know, of course, his soulmate was also Leah, and you know, even, in, even Zilpah and, and Bilah. Uh, obviously were very righteous women that uh, these are the mothers of the tribes, but everyone knows that Rachel was his favorite. And as soon as he sees Rachel, we really see like a somewhat of a strange scene. In chapter 29 of, uh, of Parashat Vayetzeh, book of Genesis, it says in verse number 10, and it was when Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother, Yaakov came forward and rolled the stone from upon the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother. Then Yaakov kissed Rachel and raised his voice and wept. Why are you crying, Yaakov? Why is Yaakov crying here and why did he do all of what he did? Seems kind of strange. Now, we already explained the whole uh, kissing Rachel thing in last year's Sheol, so we're not going to delve into that. There's commentary on it by different Mefarshim. Some say there was really a kiss on the shoulder. Some say it really wasn't a kiss. It's a uh, just a show of, uh, 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 of love. Uh, Point being is, this is irrelevant. Some say it was a kiss, but she was a little girl, so it's just not a kiss of affection as far as an uh, uh, inappropriate one, but uh, something that like a uh, a um, older brother gives. You know, the point is, is that, you know, it's a, uh, uh, this was already addressed in the last year. Here we're talking about that Yaakov sees Rachel, and she's a shepherd, or shepherdess. And he decides to take over before a conversation, before anything else. And as the sages say, that, uh, that Yaakov saw Rachel, knew that she was his soulmate, knew that she is, was created for him and he was created for her. They're part of the same soul. And he takes over the job. He waters her sheep, and he starts crying. Now, the Chachamim say 
that after Yaakov saw prophetically that uh, Rachel is really his soulmate, and it was not a, a normal uh, encounter with any other human being on earth, but rather he also saw the future, and he saw that they're not going to be buried next to each other because she's going to die young on the way, and they're not going to be buried together in Marat and Machpelah. And uh, Yaakov Avinu was very, uh, already felt the pain of the future. But yet, we have to explain why did this, why did Yaakov Avinu water the sheep? He's watering the herd, he's crying to Hashem, and he takes off this round rock or boulder I should say that's blocking the water we thought about this and we realized that Yaakov Avinu is not just seeing the future he's also seeing the past Yaakov Avinu obviously grew up in his father and mother's house and how did his father and mother meet when Avraham Avinu, Yaakov's grandfather, sent Eliezer to go find his son Yitzchak, a wife. Eliezer went to the house of Betuel, the father of Lavan and Rivka. And Eliezer prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that, uh, that he's going to help him find a wife for Yitzchak, that he knows for sure that she's the one by testing her if she's going to not only offer him water, but she's also going to water his camels. And after that happened, he knew that this is it. Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, he's watering Lavan's sheep. He's watering, because Rachel is taking care of, of, of a father's sheep. He's watering Lavan's sheep. Just like Rivka, his mother, watered Eliezer's camels. Yaakov's father's camels and perhaps Yaakov was crying as the circle of life was clear to him that it was the divine hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where Eliezer cried out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu after watering the the watering sign where he, when he saw that uh, Rivka is the one because she watered she gave him water and she also gave his uh his camel's water, and he cried out to Hashem, as the verses say. He cried out to Hashem in excitement that Hashem answered his prayers and answered the prayers uh, of Avraham of Avinu, his master. Eliezer cried because he got, he saw how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is involved in every single act that he does in this world. How HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally knows your thoughts, knows your ideas, and listens to every word that comes out of your mouth. And when you hear this, it's one thing. When you feel this, it's something else. Eliezer got excited when he saw the blessing of HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually materialize in front of his eyes. Yaakov Avinu feels the same here, where he sees, look at this. It's not just this, beautiful family uh, relative of mine that uh, I'm seeing here, that's my soulmate. But look, it's the circle of life. HaKadosh Baruch divine hand is clear here. 
he, I am watering Levan, Levan's, uh, Levan's sheep, in essence returning the favor that my dear mother did for my father. And showing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is answering our prayers. And so he's watering the herd. He's crying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And he's also moving this boulder, this round boulder, which in essence could be symbolic of the circle of life that the divine hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages precisely. And when it comes down to the warning that Rachel tells uh, ya- uh, Yaakov right away that her father is a, uh, is a criminal, he's a cheater. This is the reason why Yaakov keeps uh, uh, mentioning that he is uh, the, uh, also his, uh, his mother's uh, brother, meaning uh, that he also uh, comes from the same household, if you will, because his mother was the sister of Levan. So if Levan wants to be a criminal... I know how to deal with criminals. Now, when a person sees how life works in such a fashion, where Kadosh Baruch Hu makes sure that there's no debt owed to any wicked person out there, owed to anyone, Levan could feel like he's uh, owed something. Why? Hey, my, uh, you know, when, uh, when the uh, family of Avraham and Yitzchak came by us, we, uh, we gave them shelter, we gave them food, we gave them uh, water. Look at that. You guys, uh, what did you guys give us? Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes sure. Here. Are, uh, your sheep, Yaakov, is going to not only water them, but he's also going to take care of them and, multi- you know, have the blessing of multiplying them exponentially to the point where Levan becomes so rich that he knows that he that no one owes him anything anymore. He's, he's the one that benefited out of this whole relationship. He's the one that desires it. Later on, after the story of uh, the... Conman behavior and actions of Levan cheating Yaakov. We see that uh, Yaakov marries both Leah and Rachel. And he also gets Bilain Zilpa as the maidservants, which were also the mothers of, the, uh, of uh, part of the tribes, the 12 tribes. And here we learn a little bit more about the circle of life and how Kadosh Baruch Hu runs the world and how no one should ever be concerned about anything in the world other than their servitude of Hashem because Hashem literally moves every little chip exactly where it needs to be, lets every leaf live exactly how long it needs to live. You know, every little taste that needs to taste good, tastes good. Every uh, smell that needs to smell good, smells good. Everything is precisely managed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We see this when Leah starts giving birth and she says something. Leah conceived and bore a son, the firstborn son. And she called him Reuven. Now the sages say 
Why did, why did Leah call him uh, Reuven? The verse says, because my humiliation is revealed before Hashem, uh, for now my husband will love me. But what, what is this? What is this humiliation? Humiliation that perhaps uh, she wasn't as loved as Rachel. It's not that uh, Yaakov didn't love her, but it was so obvious that Yaakov loved Rachel and was willing to work another seven years for her, for Rachel, that it was as if he did not love Leah. Now, Leah specifically used the words, the word Reuven. Reu ben. See my son. What is this see my son? Why is she called Reuven? She says, look, see, see, see my son. Take a look at this righteous son of mine, which she saw in prophecy of his future. Look how different he is of the people that came before him. Where my son, Reuven, even though he lost his firstborn rights to his brother Yosef, when push came to shove, Reuven, my son, still tried to save the life of Yosef. Where on the other hand, Esav, when he lost his firstborn rights, because he chose to lose them, because he didn't care about them, he didn't try to save Yaakov's life, but rather the opposite. He tried to kill Yaakov. So look how great my son is in comparison to my righteous uh, father-in-law's uh, son. So here we see the how the names, each one of the names are telling a story. Furthermore, we see this in general with all of the people. When we compare ourselves to the nations, one of the things that the anti-Semites have a problem with is that uh, they hate the, the, uh, the Torah's uh, uh, love of the Jewish people, HaKadosh Baruch who loves the Jewish people and calls us the chosen people, you know, uh, so much so that uh, literally it stupefies them. Uh, even though God himself is saying that he loves us and he chose us, and it's his, obviously it's his world, it's his right to choose who he loves and who he, uh, who he uh, doesn't love and who he loves more and who he loves less. Uh, and really it's not that he just loves us no, uh, no matter what, he loves us because we fulfill his mitzvot. Uh, whereas the nations, uh, you know, many of them, most of them are idol worshippers. They're worshipping foreign gods, they're... Uh, uh, you know, they, they believe in their own powers and so on. Now, when you look at Am Yisrael, you see Yitzchak. Yitzchak came from Avraham. But Ishmael also came from Avraham. Yitzchak sacrificed his life in order to honor Hashem by allowing his father to shecht him. Allowing his father, when he knew that his father, Avram, was going to slaughter him, not only did Yitzchak not even skip a beat, and he continued to go towards the place where he's going to be slaughtered, but in fact, the Midrash says that he went happily, because he's going to go fulfill a mitzvah. And when he heard the voice from heaven that says to Avram not to slaughter him, he wanted to be slaughtered. 
In fact, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat teaches us the halachot of how you're allowed to tie an animal on Shabbat without causing it a uh, uh, harm and torturing it, but at the same token, uh, without uh, you know risking that it's going to run away. It says, where, where do we learn? Don't tie it like Yitzchak asked his father Avraham to tie him, like the Akedah. What's the Akedah? Tying the arms and the legs behind to each other. Don't don't uh, don't tie the animal like that. Don't tie all four legs. You're allowed to tie maximum the uh, uh, um, the the three legs so it can still move, but it can't run. Point is that Yitzchak Avinu was more than happy to sacrifice his life. His descendant Yaakov, his son Yaakov, served Hashem through and despite suffering and ended up bringing the 12 tribes. Ishmael, on the other hand, did not sacrifice his life for the sake of Hashem, although he himself did tshuva, he did not teach his children to follow the ways of Hashem and therefore his descendants, instead of sacrificing themselves for the sake of Hashem and honoring Hashem, what do they do? They kill themselves in order to kill Yitzhak's descendants, in order to kill Am Yisrael. Esav, on the other hand, instead of being like his brother Yaakov that served HaKadosh Baruch Hu, despite the suffering, Esav has been known to bring suffering to Yaakov and to Yaakov's descendants, Am Yisrael. Yaakov his children of the 12 tribes, and Am Yisrael, Esav, brought Amalek. This is a simple reality. This is not racism. This is not, we hate you, you hate us. No, this is simple reality. Everyone still has a free choice of what to do with this information. Meaning, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, this information exists. This information is reality. If you follow, if you're a Jew and you follow the ways of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, you follow the Torah, you will be a continuation of that chain that's been a chain of Am Yisrael for the last 4,000 years and you'll be considered one of the righteous descendants of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. If you choose to abandon the ways of Hashem, you choose to desecrate Shabbat, you choose to you know, be a, 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 one of these thieves that uh, does uh, business in an uh, illegal and dishonest way, you choose to be an adultery, you choose to be a uh, wayward person, then guess what? You'll be no different than Amalek, the descendant of Esau. On the other hand, someone that came from Ishmael or someone that came from Esav, you can choose to follow the wicked people that came out of those two nations or you can choose to be among the righteous people that came out of those nations by following the Torah. If you choose to follow 
the heresy of the Quran or the idolatry of the uh, of the New Testament, then you will be part of the evil people of Ishmael that want to kill Am Yisrael, or part of the evil people of Edom that's part of Amalek that wants to kill Am Yisrael. On the other hand, if you choose to follow the Holy Torah, whether as a righteous Noahide or as a convert to Orthodox Judaism, you'll be following the righteous path and be part of the righteous people in the world. Meaning, where you came from doesn't necessarily mean that's the path you have to stay on. That's just simply a reality that exists. You can still have a choice of where to go, whether Jew or Gentile. Just because your father was righteous doesn't mean you're automatically righteous. Just because your father was wicked doesn't mean that you have to be wicked. But the point being is, is that when people use their emotions instead of their brains, they hate the fact that, oh, they call themselves chosen, they call themselves better, look at that, to such an extent that literally, today, there was this 15-second uh, video clip that somebody showed uh, on, uh, and, and sent it around everywhere of one of the uh, news stations interviewing an Israeli representative about the hostages and accusing Israel of being racist and prejudiced against the Palestinians. And what's her proof? Her proof is that, look, the Israelis are freeing 150 Palestinian prisoners in return for only 50 Jews. So this shows that the Israelis, the Jewish people, don't value the lives of the Palestinians as much as they value the, their own people. Like, this is literally stupidity at the highest level. If it was a stock, today it would have reached an all-time high. Like, you're forgetting that these 150 Palestinians are all terrorists. They're all criminals. They're all people we don't want to release. And in fact, we're only releasing them in order to get our people and the deal in terms of asking for more was actually by the Palestinians, by the Hamasniks. They're the ones that value their people less than our people. They're the ones that say, listen, we know that, uh, you know, you don't, you know, the, our, our people are not uh, like yours. You know, so we'll take, uh, we'll give you uh, one of your prisoners, but you have to give us three. They're the ones that hate their people. They're the ones that they're prejudiced against their own people, not us. Hence the reason of why they use their own people and children as, as human shields. But again, the fact that the hatred of Jews can get, to, can get people to such a high level of stupidity and, and, and blindness of facts is, is not a new thing, but it's becoming more and more apparent due to the media and how many more people are uh, you know, shaming themselves by, ex by pretty much exposing their own stupidity and hatred. But here we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages the world, each and every single thing has a reason, each and every single word, each and every single name, each and every single person, but in here, we also learn another thing. This is a chidush that I learned from Rav Bidelman, Rav Elimelech Bidelman, And we also see that, you know, Leah is proud, Leah is 
calling her son Reuven because she feels like she was not loved, like Rachel was. Why? Because after he, after Yaakov married her, in order to marry Rachel, he had to work another seven years. So, Chachamim say, and uh, I heard this from Rav Biederman, that just imagine the suffering that Leah had during those seven years that now Yaakov is willing to work for the sake of being with Rachel. That even though he's married to Leah also, still there's seven years that he's willing to sacrifice just to have Rachel. Like that's, that's certainly not going to make her feel good. So what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do to reward her? We know the basics is that he gave her sons, he gave her more sons and so on. But he said, no, no, no. There had to be a measure for measure. What's the measure for measure? Just like Yaakov and Esav were twins, Rachel and Leah were also twins. Rachel died at the age of 37. Leah died at the age of 44. A difference of seven years. Why seven years? Since Leah suffered emotional anguish of not feeling loved by her husband as much as he loved Rachel for those seven years, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you my dear daughter, my righteous daughter Leah, are now going to get an extra seven years, more than your sister, to live with your husband alone. Just you and him. Rachel is already going to be in Gan Eden. Here we see that literally no matter what, no matter what a person does, no one can ever take away what is due to you. If there was a certain amount of joy, profit, goodness due to you, don't worry for even a second, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to pay you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to pay you. Yeah, but it was so hard. Yes, but once you get paid, once HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you that, that blessing, the blessing is so good, you forget that the pain ever existed. That's how extraordinary HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blessings are. Who would have thought of such a thing where, oh, you suffered for those seven years? Not because really Yaakov didn't love you. Not really because Yaakov ignored you. He was with you. Obviously, you had kids together. You lived a, bl a blissful life together. But no, you felt it. You had a little anguish in your heart. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, my dear daughter, don't worry. I'm going to give you extra time in this world to benefit from your dear husband, an extra seven years. An extra seven years. This, Rabotai, if, if, if you see the precision of the judgment, the precision of the judgment of HaKadosh Baruch Hu here, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. It's truly unbelievable how much we are in debt to Him. And there's absolutely no reason for anybody to ever be concerned about losing out on something. Because if it's yours, you're going to get it. No one else can take it from you. Only a Kadosh Baruch Hu can decide whether something is yours or not. This is also a story in the Gemara where one day Rabbi Yochanan comes into the Bet Midrash with a sad face. So his Chavruta and Talmid, the Resh Lakish, Says, Rebbe, why, uh, why the sad face? 
and he says, uh, well, some, uh, some bandits stole my wallet. Immediately, Resh Lakish got out of the Bet Midrash, went into the market, and made an announcement. He was a former head of the mafia. Everyone was scared of him, even though he was already a tzaddik at this point. Still, everyone was scared of him. He said, if you don't return my, uh, uh, my, uh, uh, my rabbi's wallet right now, I'm going to kill all of you. Within moments, they returned the wallet, and he brought back the wallet to Rabbi Yochanan. When he brought back the wallet, Rabbi Yochanan was happy again, and were able to study Torah. So the Chachamim say, wait, Rabbi Yochanan is concerned about you know, about his wallet? What's, what's, really the, what's really the pshat here? What's really the, 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 the meaning here? Meaning is simple. Rabbi Yochanan knew that there's no reason in the world that you're ever going to lose unless you deserve to lose. Unless you deserve to lose. You did something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, because you did it, you're going to lose. If somebody doesn't observe Shabbat, they lose their blessing in all of their Parnassah. Even if they're making a million dollars a year, they're never going to have a blessing in their life as far as their money is concerned. It's always going to go to things that are not going to be beneficial to you. Either things that are going to make more sins or it's going to be things that are not enjoyable. Doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, taxes. Uh, you're never going to have blessing on your money. If somebody wastes seed, they, they lose their Parnassah. Somebody goes to prostitutes, somebody goes and gambles, they lose their blessing and they lose their parnasa. Shlomo Amelach says if you gamble, if uh, you lend money with, uh, with interest, these types of things, you're guaranteed to lose your money eventually to the point where you're going to be so poor, you're not going to have food, to, uh, you're not going to have money to buy bread. So there's certain things that literally destroy the blessing in life. Destroy the blessing in life. But here, Rabbi Yochanan says, you know, he learns Torah all day, he teaches Torah all day. What did I do in order to lose money? Not that he's concerned about the money. He knows Hashem is going to give him money and then going to feed him. But what did I do? How could I not know what I did in order to deserve this? I mean, at least if I knew, I could do tshuva for it. So when he got the wallet back, he said, oh, no, no, no. This was just a test. I didn't do anything bad. I don't have to do a tshuva for anything. This was simply a Kadosh Baruch testing me. So that's what made him happy. So... Here we see how the Chachamim think about the things that happen in this world as they always know that everything that happens to you in this world, it's all by the divine hand. It's all by the divine hand. There's another story about Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan used to be very, very wealthy. And one day he was walking with one of his Talmidim and uh, they, they passed by uh, you know, a, a very beautiful uh, uh, vineyard beautiful field full of trees, grapes, something that was worth a fortune. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan says to his Talmud, he says, you see that? That used to be mine. I sold it so I could learn Torah. They saw another field. He says, yeah, that one too. That was also mine. I sold that so I could learn Torah. His Talmud started crying. He says, Rabbi, you sold everything so you could learn Torah, but what did you leave for you in your old age? Rabbi Yochanan says to him, No, my dear son. What do you mean? I exchanged something that took Akadosh Baruch Hu six days to make, you know, in the material world, 
for Torah that's eternal. I'm ahead. What are you crying about? I'm, I'm, I did the best thing in the world. Here we see that everything that happens in the world is managed by Kadosh Baruch Hu. The more connected a person to a Kadosh Baruch Hu, the more they realize that they have nothing to be concerned about. They have nothing to be concerned about because if anything that you deserve, you're going to get. If you want to deserve more, you have to do more. What do we mean do more? Earn more merits, learn more Torah, do more chesed, do more things to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Most people, when they want more, they figure they'll work more. But there's plenty of people that work very, very hard, but don't make more. And there's plenty of people that don't work very much, and Hashem gives them a lot. The question is whether they get a lot without a blessing, or they get a little with a lot of blessing. How do you, uh, why does the one that gets very little sometimes have a lot of blessing? Another one gets little but without blessing. Another one gets a lot without blessing. Another one gets a lot with blessing. Why? It's all based on how they serve Hashem. The more they serve Hashem according to the Torah, the higher the blessing. The more they serve themselves and their desires and not Hashem, less blessing. So, Everything that we see in this world is something for us to learn from. Because these are the tools that the Kadosh Bukhu uses to run the world. Furthermore, as we delve into this circle of life, we see that after Rachel sees that her sister Leah has already given birth to four children, and she has not given birth to even one. She learns. She learns about our forefathers, our matriarchs. Who are they? The same ones that we have. Avraham, Yitzchak. Yitzchak is our, uh, our father-in-law. Avraham is our uh, husband's uh, grandfather. This is our in-law's family, but this is also part of the same nation. This is also our forefathers. So you have to learn from them. Not just from Avraham and Yitzhak, but also from their wives. So she learned from Sarai Menu. What did she learn from Sarai Menu? Sarai Menu also was barren. Sarai Menu also didn't have uh, uh, children for most of her life until she passed the test. What was the test? Do you want children just because you want something, or do you want to bring blessing to the world because you want to fulfill the mitzvah and serve a Kadosh and help your husband serve a Kadosh What do you want? When Sarah gave Hagar to Avram, she didn't do it because she didn't want Avram. The opposite. She loved Avram dearly. She didn't do it because she wanted Hagar and she liked Hagar. No. She wanted to fulfill a mitzvah. She wanted her husband to fulfill a mitzvah. She said, okay, I'll build a house through her. Maybe if Hashem sees that, that uh, I, I really want to fulfill this mitzvah so much that you know, I want my husband to fulfill the mitzvah so much. Maybe if he sees that I just want to fulfill mitzvot, he'll also let me fulfill it. So when she gave Hagar to her husband, uh, uh, Avram, to bring a child to the world, after that, HaKadosh Baruch also opened her womb and uh, she also had a son. She had Yitzchak. Rachel learned that lesson and did the same exact thing. And she said the same exact words. And she said to Yaakov, here is my maid, Bila, 
Come to her that she may bear children and I will raise them. And in that way, I too may, build, may be built up through her. Just like the Mesirut Nefesh, the sacrifice of Sarai Menu, bringing Hagar to Avraham, Rachel learned the lesson and repeated the same exact thing and also got the blessing as well. We see how in this circle of life, though, that the whole purpose is not just to see that wonderful things happen in the end and all ended up having a happy ending. No, no, it's not just about that. It's also that we're supposed to learn from it. And not just we learn from it because uh, it's our job, but rather we see that our forefathers, our matriarchs also learned from it. So if as great as they were, they learned from it, needless to say, we need to learn from it. Rachel Menu learned to sacrifice from Sarah. Sarah got the blessing. Rachel got the blessing. Same thing today. When people ask me, listen, how can I have the blessing to have children? How could I have the, uh, the blessing to have Mopanasa? How could I have a blessing? There are certain mitzvot that open up a world of blessings. And then the most critical mitzvah that, uh, that can bring a person an enormous amount of blessings. And I've seen this firsthand countless times, countless times, is when people support Kiruv, when people support our organization that Bo Hashem day and night does Kiruv, publicizes the Kadosh Bahu's name in his Torah, helps people do tshuva, enormous amount of blessings come to them. Unfortunately, sometimes people think it's a one-time thing, like as if you can just buy God. So they donate a little bit of money, or even a lot of money, and then they think it's just going to happen right away, as if Hashem dances to your toots. Sometimes there are miracles that happen to people right away, but that's not necessarily always a good sign. That could simply be a test, and it's happened a few times where somebody would donate, literally within hours something amazing would happen to them which you would think would actually encourage them to continue donating but in fact instead of continuing to donate they stop donating and then they come back to you six months later and tell you listen i you know i don't know i need i need another i need a blessing i uh, you know it's i don't know what's going on it's <laughs> going on you did something good and you got a blessing instead of repeating it you forgot about what gave you good. You thought that uh, you know, it's just a, uh, you won the lotto. You don't realize what gave you the blessing. Unfortunately, this is a very, very sad thing that uh, you get to see where people ask for a blessing. People do what the Torah says, what the sages say in order to get blessings and then they forget where the blessing came from. I've had people that uh, Hashem had medical miracles, uh, people that... Uh, uh, had uh, children, people that had marriages, all types of wonderful things happened to them. And Bo uh, Hashem, we're always happy. The only thing that makes us sad is that when people forget uh, about where the blessing came from. Not because we, we think that uh, we're losing out on it as far as money. I know that whatever we need to get, HaKadosh Baruch will give us. It's just sad that a person forgets that it's because you supported Torah that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you that blessing, whatever that blessing is, whether it's finding a spouse or having children or a health miracle or more money or whatever it is. It's sad because you know that it's the next time around, it's not going to be so simple. It's not going to be so simple. But either way, it's a, uh, if a person forgets his blessings, unfortunately, so, that also shows about the big character flaw of ungratefulness. And there's not much you can do about something like that. A person needs to know 
uh, you know, the, uh, their own, they have to reflect. They have to reflect. There's nothing you can do that. You, can, you, can't, you can't do it for them. Uh, now, furthermore, we uh, see that later in the parasha, Reuven finds these special flowers called dudaim, which is a uh, special plant that the sages say increases fertility. And Rachel wants this plant. She makes a deal with uh, Leah, her sister, that uh, because she'll take this dudaim, therefore she could take her night with, uh, with Yaakov. And uh, Leah... Uh, goes out to get Yaakov as soon as the uh, ya- she hears the uh, the donkey uh, you know it's carrying Yaakov. Uh, she goes out to bring uh, to bring uh, uh, Yaakov to her because he was scheduled to go to Rachel. Now the sages say that two things came out of this. On one end, a blessing came out of this. Why she enticed our husband to be intimate with her in order to bring more children to the world. And that's the Gemara in Masechet Nedarim, page 20b, Masechet Eruvin, page 100b, the uh, Midrash, uh, and many other places in the Torah, and especially if you have been, uh, if you watched our uh, Jewish Intimacy series, which Bezlet Hashem will return to very soon, uh, you know, the, uh, when a woman entices her husband to be together with her, when she's permitted, in order to bring more children to the world, that is a very, very big merit. It's a very, very big blessing that uh, could bring Torah scholars to the world. Uh, and that's actually what uh, Leah got blessed with. She got blessed that she got uh, Issachar, who was a uh, Torah scholar, um, and Zvulun. Both of them were, were scholars, but uh, Issachar was a, uh, known uh, as, uh, as the, uh, the bigger scholar. And that's because she uh, enticed her husband to be with her. On the other hand, the Midrash, the Midrash Rabbah says, perhaps Leah went too far, meaning she was supposed to entice her husband to be with her, but apparently uh, she went too far by going out there because she got punished for it also as her daughter learned from her. Her daughter Dina also uh, uh, went out, and she went out in a place that she wasn't supposed to, and she ended up getting raped. Meaning that it's not this specific act that particular day that uh, Leah went out and she got punished for. For that, she got blessed. But rather because apparently Leah went out some other time when she wasn't supposed to go out, and for that, uh, she got punished for, and uh, her daughter ended up uh, learning that from her and getting punished for it. Dina. Uh, so again, we see the how Hakadosh Baruch Hu precisely does manage the world, where one thing happens, it leads to another. There's a measure for measure. There's a circle. There is things always equal out in the world. There's always things that there's a justice uh, that's uh, you know in the system that is more precise than humanly uh, uh, possible. Later on, we see that uh, Levan is very happy with the prophets he's made with uh, having Yaakov 
uh, as his uh, shepherd managing his uh, sheep, uh, Levan became uh, extraordinarily wealthy. In fact, uh, later on we see that Yaakov says to Levan, when I first came to you, you only had a few sheep. After I came, uh, you had many. Uh, and this is actually, uh, I, uh, Levan even admits this. When uh, after Yaakov works for him for 14 years, he convinces Yaakov to continue working for him. Uh, even though there's no more wives to give him or wives that he wants, still he wants them to work for him because he knows that uh, he's profiting from it. And Levan says to him, uh, I have ascertained and I know it to be true that Hashem has blessed me on your account because of your presence with me. And Yaakov says, yeah, you know how devotedly I worked for you and how few your livestock were when they were dis- de- uh, deposited with me. For the little you had before I came has increased exceedingly, as Hashem has blessed you on account of me. So here we see that there's extraordinary amount of wealth and benefits that uh, Yaakov got as a result, uh, that uh, Levan got as a result of Yaakov. This is a fulfillment of the Torah. Where Torah says, uh, Kadosh Baruch promises Avraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And Yaakov is, in essence, going somewhere and he's bringing that blessing with him. Whoever is around him, whoever helps him, whoever is supportive of him in any way, gets a benefit of that blessing. And we see that that has happened throughout all of history. Anywhere that the Jewish people went and settled, the country, the kingdom, became profitable as a result of it much more than it could ever be without it and you know whether for example in egypt and the torah we see that uh when yosef got there they were in a bad situation but after he uh, got there they became the wealthiest strongest country in the world after they uh, uh tortured the jewish people for many many years they obviously lost everything as a result we see the, uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the uh, you know, uh, Americans, the Nazis uh, in Germany, in Europe. All of these countries, the, the Spanish, uh, Spaniards, Turkish, all of these different countries that uh, had a Jewish co- uh, community there that was allowed to, uh, uh, to live in uh, more or less peace, benefited from it drastically where their nations became the uh, most powerful nations in the world uh, for a period of time every one of these nations you know but when they kicked out the jewish people their nations went to nothing you know turkey used to be one of the most powerful countries in the world it was the turkish empire now they're just led by some terrorist that thinks he's strong uh in reality they're uh, they're they're nothing you know Spain used to be the most powerful country in the world when they had a Jewish population. But the the Spanish Inquisition, as the Jews left, so did all of the blessing go with. Uh, All of the other nations that I mentioned, each one of them had a Jewish community in there that uh, was was allowed to live there in in peace. An enormous amount of blessing came with them. And uh, that's the blessing that HaKadosh Baruch gave to our forefathers. And each time they kicked us out, each time they tortured us, each time they murdered us, they uh, ultimately lost that blessing and went to a complete opposite extreme and, uh, and, and, and got destroyed. You know, the, uh, 
the uh, uh, Greeks of today are not the same as the Greeks of uh, you know what we learned about uh, in, in uh, you know in, in Hanukkah that's coming up in the next week. The Greeks of today live in Greece. The Greeks of the Hanukkah story were in Syria. So it's it's two completely different uh, uh, people. Uh, they were part of the uh, uh, how the nation of uh, of Alexander the Great was split up. A big part of it went to Syria. Uh, as far as the uh, the Spanish of today are not the same as the Spanish of 500 years ago. Uh, the Romans obviously are, have turned into the Germans, but again, it's not the same thing. Uh, all of these uh, nations, the Babylonians and the Iraqis of today, again, it's not the same thing. The, 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 where they were and where they are right now are worlds apart. Worlds apart. There is a DNA connection, you can say. There is a, uh, you know... Uh, you know, biological connection between them, but as far as the, uh, and even spiritual connection, but as far as their status in the world back then when they had the Jewish community versus today, it's a world apart. You know, many people like to talk about how the, uh, and with modern day Israel, how the, uh, uh, there was a half a million uh, Palestinians uh, or, uh, or Arabs that called themselves or decided to call themselves Palestinians living in Israel and how they uh, were kicked out, uh, you know, and, and, and they were really nice to us, all the Arab nations. But this is obviously anyone that actually researches history knows this is a complete fabrication that's very easily provable. First of all, if they were kicked out, how come there are several million of them still living in Israel? How do you go from a half a million to several million and consider yourself being kicked out. I'm not really sure. Maybe perhaps they haven't, uh, they're too focused on building missiles and not learning math. It doesn't work so well. Half a million doesn't grow to several million uh, and you're kicked out. You say, yeah, but they got kicked out of uh, their, their houses. Yeah, they lost the war. When they attacked us, they tried to destroy us. They lost the war, so we kicked them out of specific houses because they were terrorist cells. Like, what, what do you expect? The fact that they were allowed to live is, uh, is, is, is a miracle in itself. Uh, but that's, that's the funny thing, is that Israel is the only country in the world where the, uh, we're supposed to win the war but allow the enemy to live forever. It's, it's the most bizarre thing in the world. Second thing is, is that uh, while everyone likes to say, no, you know, the, the Jews lived in harmony with the Muslims and all the Muslims... What are you talking about? Look at the statistics. During the same exact time that we are, you know, accused of kicking out the Palestinians, during the same exact time, the Jews in Syria, in Morocco, in Lebanon, and in all of the surrounding Arab countries, Egypt, what do they all do? They kicked us all out. Nearly a million Jews were forced out of these Arab countries. All of their money, their possessions stolen from them. They were kicked out and left literally with the clothes on their, uh, on their body. Many of them died uh, you know, during the journey. Many of them were murdered. But literally nearly a million Jews were kicked out of all of these countries. Very few uh, are left in any one of these countries, in Iran, in uh, Morocco, in all of these countries. Fractions of what used to be, and in some cases zero, is left. It used to be very, very prosperous, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jewish communities in Iran, in Morocco, in Yemen, in uh, uh, Libya, uh, where my ancestors are from, uh, where uh, in, um, in Egypt, in Iraq, 
all of these countries kicked out the Jews, nearly a million Jews. No one likes to talk about that fact, you know, because don't let the facts get in the way of a, uh, you know, of a big lie. Uh, but that's, that's unfortunately one of the things that uh, the world ignores. But at the same token, we also have a very valuable Torah lesson to learn from there. When the Jewish people were in Syria, in Yemen, in Egypt, in Morocco, in, a, uh, in all of these other countries, the status of those countries was far more superior, peaceful, and successful than where they are today. Far more. Like there's simply no comparison. Now even though these countries are still on the map, the, where their people stand today is, has been a, uh, uh, a tragedy to their own people. Because you see how the rest of the world has advanced. The countries in Europe, in the Americas, you know, in uh, different parts of Asia. The rest of the world has advanced. Middle East, much of it has, uh, has, has stayed the same. And the, uh, the difference between the uh, rich and the poor has become so wide that either you're a billionaire or you're a slave. Like middle class doesn't exist in these countries. And it's a, uh, this is part of losing their blessing. So this, again, is another example of the words of the Torah and our Kadosh Baruch Hu always a, fulfills His promises. Um, the next thing we see that when, uh, when Yaakov Avinu makes a deal with Levant to stay for another several years, after he's already married the two wives, uh, he makes a deal with them that uh, really is a deal that we've discussed in the past about how he got the prophetic dream where he was told how to uh, uh, meet the uh, the different sheep and uh, in, in such a way where he's going to uh, um, increase the likelihood of, of the sheep turning, you know, being born in a certain uh uh, with a certain look and so on, but really, Yaakov Avinu is teaching us a couple of things here. Number one, he says, let my integrity testify for me on a future day. Yaakov Avinu says to Levan, let my integrity testify for me on a future day. What's this future day? The future day happens six years later. After Yaakov Avinu leaves, Levan chases him, accuses him of stealing, accuses him of cheating, accuses him pretty much of everything that Lavan did. Yaakov Avinu says, you know what? Go check everything. Find me a single pot that's yours. Go ahead. And after he doesn't find anything, Yaakov Avinu repeats again. Look, you tested my integrity. You questioned my integrity even though I worked so hard for you day and night. I never cheated you. In fact, you cheated me. My integrity that I told you about six years ago, that's going to stand for me. Look, on a future day, today is that future day. So here we see that Yaakov Avinu, Baruch HaOmer Ve'oseh, blessed is the one that says and does. Unfortunately, this is one of the things that, for my life of Baruch Hashem, several decades, I have yet to find a, a person in the business world that actually does what he says he's going to do on a regular basis. And quite frankly, 
It's one of the uh, tikkunim that I have. Uh, whether it's a uh, people I do business with or uh, you know any type of things when it comes to money, it's impossible to find people that do what they say they're going to do. Very, very, very difficult. Uh, it's part of my uh, personal tikkun and, uh, because it bothers me a lot because I work very hard to do everything that I say I'm going to do. And because I work so hard on it, I kind of expect other people to do the same thing. And that's also part of the reason why I usually don't negotiate prices. If I am, you know, if I need a certain service or, or I'm buying something, I'm uh, a little bit uh, opposite of uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters where I don't negotiate. You tell me you want this for a certain price, no problem. All I want, I'll pay you the price you want. Just do what you say you're going to do. And unfortunately, even though I do that, I have yet to find a single person. One person, one person that actually does what they're going to do. And I've dealt with thousands and thousands of people, thousands of transactions, and uh, it's a uh, it's a tikkun. The only people that I've seen that actually do what they say they're going to do are Talmidei Chachamim, Torah scholars. That's the only people. And it has a lot to do with Yirat Shemaim. It has a lot to do with Yirat Shemaim and uh, fear of heaven. When you don't have fear of heaven, you don't really have much value to the words and the promises that you make. So here we see that Yaakov Vinu is a uh, is telling Lavan, "Let my integrity testify for me in a future day." And we see that future day come. Furthermore, we see that this whole deal is a lot more than just a business deal. It's an ideological deal. It's an ideological debate between Lavan. The idol worshiper, the heretic, the rasha, and Yaakov Vinu, the tzaddik, the Yereshamayim, the holy, where Lavan mocks this deal. Because Yaakov Vinu says, look, I'm going to watch the sheep. All I want is any sheep that is born with specific spots on it, that'll be my ponasa. That'll be my ponasa. And the way that it's uh, easy to tell that you're going to check anytime you check my sheep, you're going to see that all my sheep are just the ones that have the spots. So Levan says, indeed, if only it will be as you say, meaning he's already saying to him, yeah, but maybe you are going to cheat, maybe you're going to do this, maybe you really uh, say you're going to uh, only going to have those, but you're going to try to steal from me. He's accusing him of really what he's doing. That's the nature of, of liars and cheaters. Uh, they always accuse everybody else of their own crimes. But Really, Levan ultimately mocks the idea that Yaakov is bringing him. Why? He's saying, what are you saying here? You're saying that you are willing to live off of just the sheep that, are open, that have these spots, even though I'm going to take out all the sheep that have spots right now, and all the ones that you're going to have are not going to be? Like, how are you going to have all of these white sheep turn into ones with spots? How are you going to have all these black sheep turn into ones with spots? You're, I'm going to make it impossible. So here you have an ideological debate between Yaakov and Levan, where Levan says, you're crazy for thinking that you're going to make a living out of this because I just took out all of your chances because biologically it's impossible for you to have these sheep. You're lucky if you're going to survive. Yaakov says, that's because you believe in science being an independent power of God. That's because you think that you believe in your power, 
being independent from God. That's because you think that you're making the money. You have the ideas. You have the good timing. You have all of the strength. Whereas I, Yaakov, I know that I am nothing. And the panasah that I get is only decreed by a Kadosh Baruch Hu. As the Gemara says in Masechet Beitzah, page 16, and also Masechet Rosh Hashanah, on the same page 16, 1 is 16a, 1 is 16b, HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides in Rosh Hashanah how much panasah, how much money you're going to make. He already decides in Rosh Hashanah how much money you're going to make. And the Mishnah explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu changes that decision every single day. And the Baal Shem Tov explains that that really changes how much panasa you're going to make, but rather how you make your panasa based on your actions. The more you do tshuva, the easier your panasa is going to come to you, the more blessing the panasa is going to come to you that it was already decided on Rosh Hashanah. But either way, Levan doesn't believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages the panasa, but Levan believes, like most people today, he believes that if he works extra hard, if he works two jobs, if he works long hours, then he's going to make more money. If he has good timing, if he finds a good position for his store, if he has a good product, if he buys at a good price, he's going to make more money. Levan is like most people of the world today. Sadly, including people in the Jewish community, where we think that we're going we're gonna to decide how much bonus that we're going to make based on our cleverness and our sales pitch and our marketing material. Yaakov Inu says, this is all bogus heresy. All bogus heresy. Akadosh Baruch Hu is the only one that's in charge of how much money you're going to make. And therefore, it doesn't matter what you do to me, Lavan. You could take out not just the sheep that we agreed on, you could take out the sheep that we didn't agree on, meaning even more. To make it even more, impossible for me to make panasah and I'm still not worried. Hashem will still send it to me. See, here we see that Levan is mocking the idea of panasah being from Hashem even though he said himself that Yaakov, I want you to stay with me because I know that I'm being blessed by Hashem. So this conflicts. On one hand, Levan, you're telling me that you want me to stay because you see that I'm blessed by Hashem and you're blessed by Hashem because of me. On the other hand, you don't really believe, you're mocking this deal because you don't really believe I'll make any money out of it because you just took out all of the, theoretically, uh, the possibilities of me making money. So, so what's the truth here? The truth is that Levan was a liar. Levan was a con man. Levan said to Yaakov, whatever he knew would trigger him to stay. Meaning, he's saying, Yaakov, yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're God, yeah, he's powerful, that, I'm making money, so you like God, okay, I like God also, just stay here. He's like, unfortunately, people today, they just pacify you, they say what you want to hear in order to get something out of you. But he didn't really believe in God, he was an idol worshiper, believing in himself, believing in his, uh, in his uh, terafim that he had, these different statues that he would uh, uh, make out of uh, people's heads, he would murder firstborn children and uh, turn their skull into an idol. That's what the terafim that Rachel stole from him because then these terafim would speak and tell him the future. Levan was a uh, wizard. So he didn't believe that there is a, anything more powerful than him. So when Yaakov came, comes up with this deal, he laughs at it. He laughs at it. 
Now, we see that ultimately, who wins this debate? Yaakov. Yaakov wins this debate as his blessing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu materializes so much so that he's able to make enough money not only to live, but also as the verse says in uh, chapter 30, verse 39, that he formed for himself separate droves and did not mingle them uh, with Levan's flock. As I said earlier today, he was making enough that he was able to give Maaser from it. But then Levan and his sons didn't like it. They lost the debate. Their ideology is in the garbage. Their truth has been proven to be a lie. They see that Yaakov is becoming successful. And they start uh, having a Tisha B'Av face, you know, a sad face, a, a sour face, sore loser face. Yaakov realizes it's time to leave. And he tells his uh, wives it's time to leave. And just so you know, even though I didn't complain about your father being a cheater, he is a cheater. Yaakov didn't say anything that was not useful. So even though he was cheated by Levan for the last 20 years, he never complained about it, even once, because there was no purpose of complaining to his wives about it. He's, he doesn't want them to be sad that he's being cheated for their sake. But after 20 years, he finally tells them this. And what's their response? Very simple. Rachel Leah replied, chapter 31, verse 14. And they said to him, that have we still a share and inheritance in our father's house that we should wish to remain here? I Meaning it's a question, what are you talking about? There's nothing here. Why, why isn't there a share? Why isn't there a share? Because it says... We, were we not uh, considered by him as strangers? For he has sold us to you for your labor. And later on, when you worked for him for payment, he also completely consumed our money. We're not surprised that he cheated you. Why? Because he even cheated us and we're his daughters. Even the money that was our dowry, he took and he stole from us. And therefore, although we, have, we do have property, nothing was given to us by our father. Rather, all the wealth that Hashem took away from our father was given to us. Only that is what belongs to us and to our children. So now, whatever Hashem has said to you, do. He said, we are on the same page as you are, dear husband, this Slavan, he's a Rasha, even though he's our father, he's a Rasha. He didn't just steal from you, he stole from his own daughters, from us. And everything that we have is only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. Only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. Just like he said, those that bless you will be blessed, those that curse you will be cursed. When Lavan uh, you know, hosted you, he had blessing come to it, but Levan doesn't feel the blessing anymore. Why? Because he is too possessive, too materialistic, and unfortunately ungrateful. And everything that we have, Hashem took from him.
So we see again the circle of life of how even though Levan tried to hurt Yaakov, mocked his deal, made it impossible for him to make money, ultimately HaKadosh Baruch Hu not only gave Yaakov his righteous wives and his kids and his servants and his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, possessions and his wealth, but he also had the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu throughout the entire way continued to get stronger as he saw the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu fulfilled because he never lost faith in him for even a moment despite the difficulty. Despite the difficulty, he never lost, a, uh, he never lost hope in Hashem. Levan, on the other hand, and the people that are wicked like Levan, they never recognize the greatness of Hashem even when they get blessings. Hence the reason why Levan, in the end, feels like he lost out, even though he got blessed and he got a lot of good out of it. He feels like he lost out. Why? Because even when he was, everything was good, he still didn't recognize the blessing. So when things don't uh, go good, it's a double effect of, uh, of negativity. So, lastly, we see that Yaakov won the debate, the ideological debate of believing in the one and only God won, in believing that God is the only one that provides for you won, in believing that no one can help you or harm you other than HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one. So you would think that after this becomes so clear that Levan, despite making it physically impossible for Yaakov to win, physically impossible for Yaakov to stay a winner because he would change the deal. He changed the deal a hundred times. Every time he saw it's not working out, he would change it again. And again, Hashem would change nature to make sure that Yaakov wins. So it was as obvious as and clear as day that Hashem is running the world here. You would think that Levan would do tshuva. And if you go, okay, you know what? You're right. Hashem runs the world. Hashem is the most powerful. Uh, and and, and uh, maybe I'll do tshuva. You would think. After you show him that his idol worship is falsehood. His, his, his ideology is falsehood. Everything is false. You would think that, you know, Levan, being a smart person, high IQ, change but he doesn't in fact it's the opposite he gets worse after Yaakov is leaves and Levan catches up to him and asks him why did you run away this way like uh, like uh, you're taking my uh, daughters as if they are your hostages Yaakov even tells him the truth listen I know that if I would have told you about it, you would have probably tried to convince me again to stay or force me to stay. And I know that you would have tried to take the money away or something. And the reality is you cheated me so many times that is, if it wasn't for Hashem, the God of my father, the God of Avraham, and the one whom Yitzchak feared, if he wasn't in my aid, you would have sent me away empty-handed despite the hard labor and the toil 
So I left. That's why I left that way. Levan says, instead of him saying, you know what, you're right. Hashem did help you. I tried cheating you countless times. It didn't work. What does he say? Like a psychopath that he is. The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flock is my flock. And all that you see is mine. He says to Yaakov, everything you have, not just the daughters, your children, your money, everything is really mine. He's so delusional that instead of acknowledging the fact that you've provided him all of the facts and the proofs to show that he is wrong, that his ideology, his beliefs are wrong, instead of him admitting it, acknowledging it, he ups the ante and says, no, 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 the opposite. I won. I'm right. Yeah, but you didn't prove even a single point. You didn't. What are you talking about? Now this may sound strange and you may even be wondering how could Levan even earn a place in the Torah as, as someone recognized when he's so stupid. But the truth is that there are countless people in the world today just like Levan. If you see any of these people that are fighting right now about the so-called Palestinian cause, you know, the freedom, free Palestine, these people that are defending it they completely ignore the facts and push all types of things that are lies, propaganda. Now, even if you put that aside, anytime any one of these so-called Palestinian supporters are questioned with basic level fundamental questions about their beliefs about their uh, uh, um, ideology about their uh, principles about facts not only do they not answer the questions but they uh, don't even acknowledge them as important questions but they start accusing the questioner as if the questioner is biased and wrong, and they literally refuse to answer normal questions. And it's mind-boggling that they're getting so much airtime and so much attention in the world because it's like this person cannot even answer a simple question. Anytime you ask them a simple question, immediately they attack you. They attack you not with an answer, but they attack you for asking such a question as if they cannot be questioned. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life simply because it's like you would think that people would learn, okay, these people are just delusional. Stop putting, giving them airtime. Stop asking them questions because it's a complete waste of time. All they want to do is just spew their venom into society as if it's a one-sided uh, debate and that's it this is the way of the wicked they don't have to be right in order to win they don't have to be with the truth in order for them to preach 
as if they are the truth. All they do is spew venom and thereby show their position. The moment their position is questioned, they become even more aggressive and they start accusing people and threatening people and bringing all types of irrelevant information to confuse people and to get them to different uh, 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 a different line of questioning. And it's honestly very, very disappointing of the inability of those that are questioning them, whether it be uh, you know different reporters or, or, or TV personalities or so on, Literally, they have, they're incapable of speaking to these people, debating with them, or even talking to them in a normal fashion. It's, it might as well just be a speech. And it's not one, not two, but literally every single one of them. On the other hand, when you see the other side, you see questions, you see answers. You see questions, you see answers. Whether you like the answers, you don't like the answers, is irrelevant. But you see normal types of discussions. This is what Levan was doing. Levan didn't have normal discussions. Even though he mocked Yaakov for believing that he could win, even though he has nothing to stand on other than Hashem. When Yaakov was empowered by HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he won, Instead of Lavan acknowledging this, acknowledging that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one and only God that runs the world, he's the one that decides how everything will turn out. Instead of Lavan acknowledging this, what does Lavan do? Lavan empowers himself by saying, no, 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 I am God. Everything you have is mine. The daughters are mine. Your kids are mine. Your money is mine. Your possessions are mine. Your life is mine. And I'm only allowing you to live. Because I could hurt you. It's something that, as bizarre as it sounds, unfortunately, it is very, very common in the world today. And this Levan does not stop there. Even when they finally uh, want to strike out a deal, Levan says it in the name, swears in the name of his false god, and Hashem. Why? He wants to compare his idol to Hashem. He wants them to be in the same sentence, as we see in chapter 31, verse 53. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahol. The God of Nahol was an idol. So he says, the, uh, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahol shall judge between us. So, Lavan is simply teaching us that if a person does not want to help themselves, if a person wants to ignore the truth, there's nothing that you can do to deter them from that, to change that. Even if you have all the facts, even if you have the truth, even if you have Moshe Rabbeinu himself come to them and tell them this is the Torah, this is the written Torah, this is the oral Torah, that what the rabbi is saying is 100% true, it doesn't make a difference. Why? They don't want the truth. They actually yearn for the lie. They want the lie. They want the delusion. And it's not because they think that the lie is true. They know the lie is a lie, but they want it. They're addicted to it. They prefer it. 
They don't want to deal with the consequences of living the truth. A person that's not willing to help themselves, nobody can help them. That's what Rabbeinu Yonah writes in Sharet Shuvah 750 years ago. If a person is not going to help themselves, all the Musar in the world is not going to help them. So there are some people that even after you show them all the facts, it doesn't make a difference. They're still going to stay their way. They're still going to stay their way. Most Jews are not like that. Although they're tough pickles at times and difficult and sometimes even annoying, certainly most Jews, when they have pure neshamot, if you show them enough information and enough knowledge, sometimes even enough care and concern, without knowledge, just simply care about them, show them that you care about them, that's enough to get them to acknowledge the right path being the path that they should go on, the path of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes you could win them in an argument by showing them the facts. Sometimes you could win them in an argument by simply showing them that you simply care about them. Like the Chafetz Chaim convinced a very wealthy Jew to keep Shabbat and mitzvot when he simply started crying as he was shaking his hand when he found out that he was a Mechalel Shabbat. And he cried so much that the guy saw how much the Chafetz Chaim cares about him that he keeps Shabbat, that he decided to keep Shabbat. Sometimes care is all you need. Sometimes words and uh, proofs are what you need. But those two things only work if the person wants to live the truth, wants to improve, wants to go in the right path. But when the person does not want to go in the right path, whether he's Jew or Gentile, nothing can help him. Even more so when he's a Gentile. A Gentile that is... A uh, uh, used to his wicked ways like the Ishmaelim and the Amalekim they don't want the truth in fact they hate it just like Lavan hated it there are some among them that want the truth and they end up going in the right path you know and some of them even become very very great people like Rabbi Meir Balanes came from the nation of Edom before he converted to Judaism Rabbi Akiva, his uh, father was a convert. He came from Edom also. Shmaya Naftalion, Itro, Ruth, some of the greatest people that ever lived came from horrible uh, uh, families. But they chose the right path and they ultimately became great people. On the other hand, some people came from great path but became really, really horrible people. You know, you have a uh, some uh, uh, people that started great, like Yerovam, Doega uh, Adumi, Achitofel. These were all enemies of David Melech. These were all enemies of God. Korach. You know, this was he was one of the. Uh, richest people that ever lived and also part of the Levi family and he was one of the people that would serve in the Mishkan, in the desert. Threw it all away. Why? Because of ego. Didn't want the truth. So it's important to know that if a person wants the truth, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises to him, "If if you look for me, you will find me. But only if you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. As he says in a the book of Deuteronomy. But if a person is not looking for Hashem, if a person is looking for lies, then lies is what he's going to find. 
Now, ultimately, if a person sees all of this, of what we learned today, sees how Kadosh Baruch Hu manages the world so precisely, how one thing happens, in 20 years later, the circle is complete. Leah, uh, uh, Rivka, waters the camels, and her son, many years later, waters the sheep of her brother. You know, the uh, Sarah uh, makes a sacrifice to let her husband marry Hagar. Rachel learns from that. And she does the same thing and both of them have, end up having children that from them come Am Yisrael. All of these different things. You see how it works and it's easy to believe and it's easy to learn and it's easy to enjoy and it's easy to really get chizuk from it. So now the question is, What's the difference between this being easy to believe and you applying it to your life? The difference is, here we see more or less the entire story. We see what happened at the beginning of the circle. We see what happened at the later stage or what we would call the end of the circle. We see what happened. We see how it started. Looked like a big... Terrible, horrible, difficult test, but we saw ultimately the results and how it was good to have that test and the benefits of having it. So it's easy when you read it in the Torah. So how come when you have a difficulty in your life, you don't get the decision from a court or some authority figure or even a lucky question that you wanted, or you can't find a spouse? or you're not having success having children, or you just lost your job, or you can't find a job, or you lost some money, or you didn't make enough money, or there's some type of tragedy, and somebody dies, somebody gets sick, or you get sick, and, and, and you hear from a Torah, have emunah, have bitachon, everything's going to be okay, and you really just can't bring yourself to have emunah or bitachon, you're just crying all day, you wake up crying, you go to sleep crying, you're constantly stressed out. Why? Here you saw the whole story and you enjoyed it. You're still watching two hours later. But what about tomorrow? Do you know the difference? The difference is Rabotai Karim. The difference is here you saw the whole story. In your life, if you want to apply this story, you have to also see the whole story. But before it actually happens. That's what having Emunah and Bitachon is. It's knowing that everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is bringing into your life is the best possible thing that you could ever get, even before you know what you're going to get. Bitachon and Emunah, as we've discussed many times in our Bitachon series and also in the Jewish Ashkafa series, Bitachon and Emunah is not like people think that if you think good things will happen, then you're going to win the lotto or you're going to... No. Bitachon is truly knowing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving you the best possible option that you could possibly have already now, even if it looks terrible, even if it feels terrible, even if it's painful, even if it is something that you can't see any good in. Having Bitachon is having the confidence in Hashem that at the end of that circle, that other side of that circle... That's where the good is that you can't see right now.
but you have all the confidence in the world in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that it will be there and it is already there just like it was in this week's parasha that we learned together where the beginning of the circle looked like an awful, terrible test but at the end of the circle we know that the outcome being so favorable wouldn't have happened had that test not been so difficult. Same concept in your lives. You have a difficulty of one or another. As long as you serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the best of your ability each and every single day, whether it's praying with Kavanah or praying at all, whether it's giving tzedakah and being generous, whether it's publicizing Torah, whether it's speaking the truth, whether it's a, uh, uh, being honest in business, being good to your spouse, being good to your children and doing the best you possibly can to build a Torah home, whatever it is that the Torah says you're doing the best you can to fulfill it, if you're on that path and you can be sure that whatever obstacle is in front of you, ultimately it's for your favor, it's for your benefit. But if you're doing things that are against Hashem, then that obstacle, that difficulty, although it is to your favor, but it will be a different way. Meaning that it's Hashem trying to change your direction. He's giving you a certain pain, a certain difficulty, not because the, this difficulty will lead to you finding some diamond. No, no, but rather because He needs you to realize He's trying to get your attention. You need to change directions. How can you know which one it is? Simple. If you're doing the will of Hashem, then you know that what's happening right now that's difficult is simply a test, it's simply a, a step towards where you need to be that is in your favor. If you're not doing the will of Hashem, then this is also a step that's in essence trying to get you to change your direction so you can get to where you need to be. Ultimately, Rabotai Karim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages the world precisely. He knows each and every single one of our thoughts. There's never a reason for you to have any anxiety or worry about things being out of control because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the world even when you're sleeping, even when you don't know the news, even when you do know the news, even when you think you know the future, even when you acknowledge that you don't know the future. You don't need to waste your time serving the televisions and the movie companies and the different social media personalities out there. All you got to do is focus all your time and attention on serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, learning His Torah and following it and you will do your job properly and HaKadosh Baruch Hu can continue doing what He does best which is running the world. You manage your job, Hashem is doing His job pretty good even without your help. He did it before you, He'll do it after you. Don't waste your time trying to do Hashem's job. Focus on Torah, focus on mitzvot, turn off your phones and all the other things that trigger you to try to run the world. Turn off all of these anxieties that make you concerned about things that are beyond your control and focus on the things that you are in control of. What are you in control of? Serving Hashem to the best of your ability and in so many words, doing the things that you need to do, whether it's working or it's a, uh, handling your kids or uh, you know, whatever it is to operate your life. The things that are within your control, do. And do it the best you possibly can. 
be the best employee, be the best boss, be the best leader, be the best follower, be the best student, be the best teacher, whatever it is that you do, be the best at it. But be the best thing that you can be. Running the world, you can't be. That's Hashem's job. Once you know your role and you know a Kadosh Baruch position, that's when a lot of that anxiety will go away because you'll know that as long as I'm doing my job, Kadosh Baruch will bring me to a positive place. Thank you very much for learning with me. Kadosh Baruch Hu bless each and every single one of you. And Bezat uh, Hashem will learn more next week. And Bezat uh, Hashem, this will, this will be a uh, big chizuk for you, not just for this week's parasha, but also throughout the year. Call to Bechavat Shabbat Shalom to everyone. הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפעליון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא משלות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, ישכילו ויצליחו, יזכו עוד לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן.